Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Life can be a challenge to navigate at times, particularly when you suffer a loss of some kind, a marriage, a loved one, a home. And when you have kids, you have to work out the best way to guide them through at a time when you're not sure which way is up or down yourself. Mel Greenhouch is a speaker who loves to talk about the hard stuff. She's been through a bit of it herself, and from her years in the human services industry, she's well-equipped to help others. Today, we're talking about helping our kids deal with sadness and loss. Hi, Mel. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. So we are talking about the hard stuff, um, things like divorce, death, disaster, all things that scare the bejesus out of me, yep. let's be honest. Fair enough. Let alone my children. Um, what's the best way to communicate those sort of big, scary things to children under six? Yeah, under six is a really interesting time because they're very much sponges. That's emotionally, socially. They're picking up all their cues from a lot of the visual stuff that's that's going on um, within their family units and in community. And, you know, they're starting to branch out and look beyond the immediate family. So it's, it's a time when we need to make sure we're communicating with them. So I think a lot of our responses, parents in particular, but also adults, is to really just provide children with as much protection as we can. Bubble wrap, you know, buy it in big bundles from Officeworks um, <laughs> and, you know, wrap them up and try to protect them from those emotions. But what we do know about children is that when they experience something, if we're able to handle it in a way that is age-appropriate, involves a lot of communication and we are using concrete and very explicit concepts with them, that it actually makes them much more equipped and they're able to develop their emotional intelligence to handle that in the future. So there's some real benefits for making sure that we communicate with them as openly and honestly as we can. Um, How you do that and and obviously we can talk about theory all we want, but it's the how do I do that? And a couple of things that I always say to people is that it's really important to understand we don't just ever have one bite of the cherry, so to speak. So when we think about any of these things, we need to understand that it's potentially going to be, depending on what the loss is too, something that could really go on for the rest of the child's life. Um, We know that we don't just hand them over to the world and that's it. Our emotional connections um, or apron strings are cut. So it's about having small chunks of of conversation where we talk about the different concepts. So most frequently I get asked about death, obviously, um, because it's probably the most easily connected kind of idea with loss. But there's so many more losses that children will experience across their lifetime, including friendships, pets, um, the loss of dreams. You know, they wanted to be, you know, a cricket player for Australia and that doesn't happen. How do they manage that? <laughs> yes. You know, um, and they're all things that we have feelings about. You know, they will get the feels uh, and they'll want to talk that through. So a lot of what I talk about is making sure that we 
talk in really concrete uh, concepts. So if we're talking about death, as an example, we can talk about the body and why, what, what has happened. So if it's a, an anticipated death, there's often a lead up to that. And you can talk about what's happening to that body and that eventually whether, um, you know, it, um, it's say in the case of my sister, uh, when she passed away and, and her two children came to live with us, you know, we had to talk about, it was her lungs. So we talked about how, you know, too much blood went there. You know, I'm being very descriptive here so people can understand the concept, but we talked about that too much blood went to her lungs and that stopped her body being able to breathe. And then in that moment, so that we don't overwhelm children, sometimes they'll just want to go off and talk about the lungs. Like, what do the lungs do? Why are they there? What, you know, oh, well, they're sponges and they bring in, you know, um, uh, the carbon dioxide and that changes that into oxygen and that helps us live. Well, what happens when that stops, you know? Well, and then you can go on to talk about, well, what will follow afterwards, which is a really good way and, and uh, to direct it is towards um, the rituals that come next. Before we move on to the rituals, um, with the children in my life, what I've found when there has been a death or even just kids being curious about death in particular, one of the hardest things I've found to answer is when they get scared that you will die. Yeah. So um, when my father-in-law passed away, he was quite old, but I didn't, although I said he was old and yes, mummy will die and hopefully it won't be until he's, Mm. until I'm 84 as well. But at the same time, I felt like I'm not being entirely honest because I can't say that I will live to 84. So I also didn't want to, lie Um, but I could tell they were afraid that they'd lost someone and then they were worried that I would die or that they would die that could be quite frightening for a child too. absolutely and I think that that conversation from my mind is a little bit like I talk about um, uh, gathering the evidence you know so you that's the that's how you could think about having the conversation so you can talk about the evidence is that yes be honest we don't know. Sometimes things happen and we can't see it coming, you know. Um, what, But what you know at this point in time is, you know, generally my age means I'm going to be around for a fair while. And, and don't be afraid to use humour as well because you can – there'll be lots of opportunities for really serious conversation. But if there is a real sense of fear there, it's to acknowledge that you hear it and to engage in that conversation. But trust your gut. You know, if you think, um, and you know in your family, like humour, without humour in our family, um, well, we may as well just have packed up and, you know, <laughs> yes. I don't know, gone somewhere into the <laughs> desert or something. But, you know, it, it's, a, it's a life force. Yeah. So figure out what is the currency in your family? What is the life force? You know, um, have those conversations with them in that moment. Talk about the evidence that's present. Yeah. So I'm you know, I'm pretty young, I'm fit, I'm healthy, um, you know, but to also acknowledge the truth that, yeah, truth is we don't know sometimes and we see it. You can give points of reference. We see it on the news. Sometimes bad things happen. It can sometimes be nature. Sometimes it can be humans that do that to each other. Sometimes our bodies get sick. But, 
you know, we've also got ways of, of handling that. In Australia, you know, we've got great hospitals, we've got good doctors and medicine and, you know, we can always try and find a way through it. I talk about around it, over it, under it, through it, you know. And But I think the key is to not then just lift up the rug, sweep that one under as quickly as you can and keep moving. So I honestly believe that where the safety and security comes from for them is when you might go away, do some Googling listen to a podcast, uh, read an article or a book. And then just in the course of life, whether it's at a dinner table, whether it's in the car, um, you know, cars are great, particularly as they get older because they love looking ahead. They don't have to look you in the eye and they'll talk. (laughs) Um, So that's a handy handy tip for beyond six. But um, And then bring it up again because what that messaging says to them is, oh, like my parents aren't afraid of that. It It is a reality and it happens. And so together, whether it's with family or community, um, you know, friends, somehow the messaging I'm getting is that we'll be able to navigate this and find a way to just live with it. When you say that, I think that sounds amazing. If I felt like that most parents were comfortable with death. I feel like most adults, I know I'm not comfortable yeah. talking about death or thinking about it or I don't feel like I've got my head around it. And all those things you mentioned there sound fabulous. But the bit where you said don't sweep it under the carpet, I feel like we do that as adults. So do we have to deal with our own yeah. concept? Yeah. And, and how do we do that? Look, um, you know, I, I have a, a sexual health education background, so I've been here before. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> encouraging people, it, this is a social taboo. It has social constraints around it that are just so debilitating. The, the, I suppose when I, what I want people to think of is that if we go back to that idea of wrapping our kids in bubble wrap and protecting them, you stepping out of your comfort zone in that parenting world and taking responsibility for understanding and and facing a little bit of your own mortality means ultimately you're going to be giving the gift of future protection. Because when, as adults, and it is confronting, and and look, I'm not sitting here saying that I have been thinking about this from the moment, you know, I could string a sentence together. This is something that really only came to me through what I call a decade of disaster. And it was, again, only because I experienced several losses, all of them different, an anticipated death followed by an unanticipated death, followed by the loss of a house um, through fire, a cancer diagnosis. All of those losses are different and along the way, losing friends and, you know, finding friends and all of those sorts of things. And that's what's given me this sort of big eye opener to go, why are we afraid of that? Because once you understand that you can get back up and keep going and that death is a part of the human experience, just like birth is. When you've had the privilege of being in that moment with someone, and I have, um, you know, been there during the birth, not of my 
my own children. I was obviously there for that, <laughs> but also for other children. And, you know, that to be on the other side of it blew my mind. Death is a very similar experience. We do need to think about the things that prepare the world for us to not be there. We can ignore that we are going to die, but then what is left behind in terms of for our children as examples, if that was to happen and we'd made no allowances for it, we've not talked about how we'd like to, you know, do we want to be buried? Do we want to be cremated? Yeah. I clearly knew what that was for my mum. My sister was 24. We had not had that conversation. So I made a choice. Did I get that choice right? I'm not sure. Yeah. So that's something that is about the ripple effect that's left behind when we don't, you know, get a sense of our own mortality and how we might discuss that in our families. Um, but I, I really do want to say to people, it is, it's not easy. You know, I mean, you come into our house and the kids roll their eyes because we're always talking about their bodies and <laughs> consent and, you know, what does mum want? Um, you know, because I definitely don't want egg and lettuce sandwiches at my wake. Um, <laughs> I'm more of a tapas kind of person. So, you know, they're really clear egg about that. Egg and lettuce that. is much easier. Mel. I know, Come right? On. But I have, you know. I'm, You've parented for their lives. They I'm can, much more. At least they can make your tapas. Exactly right. I've done my fair share of diverse meals, right? You can do a bit of that. But, um, you know, and it, it's, I suppose we don't ever want our children, our number one fear is that our children feel frightened, yeah, by stepping into that space. And, and that means, you know, if you've got some time at the moment, do some reading, you know, just look at it as a way of providing some protection, emotional protection to them. Because when you've had those conversations and you've demystified it, it's like anything in life. It reduces the level of, um, you know, fear that goes with it. So um, you mentioned that um, basically gathering evidence and be, be honest first, yeah. and then gather evidence to help dissipate unreasonable fear. Yeah. Is part of that also acknowledging that fear is also a human response oh. to death? Like to say to them, look, I'm scared as well, but yeah. you don't need to be scared that I'm going to go tomorrow or that you're going to go tomorrow because the evidence shows us yeah. that yeah. we're healthy and young and likely yeah. to be okay. Absolutely. And and one of the things that we tend to do is it's it's like we just constantly want to make things binary in our life. Yeah. Male, female. Yes, no. Good, bad, <laughs> you know, um, negative, positive. But what when we talk about those types of emotions, they're just real. They're not bad or, you know, negative. They are just emotions. It's what we do with those that then has potentially negative impacts on our lives. For instance, the idea of anger, you know, and um, for a couple of years there, I was pretty sure I walked around. I was pretty angry, you know, just, I was like, Fair enough too. what is going on, you know? <laughs> um, and, and, and some people sort of said, you know, you, you're so angry, you know? And I was like, yeah, it's true, but I'm not doing anything negative with that. You know, I'm explicitly saying having a bad day today, um, just really feeling that kind of response. It's a little bit like when, you know, the, the 
kids were little and they were having an angry day. And it was just about when they punched, kicked, hit, didn't respond (laughs) in a socially appropriate way. It wasn't about framing that the emotion was bad. I understand you're feeling really angry today. Let's chat about that. But just remember, we need to find a better way to get that emotion out. You know, so uh, for a while there, I was swimming, you know, um, we had a boxing um, bag (laughs) out the back of our place and everybody had their kick gloves and, you know, um, soccer balls, walls, you know, um, pillows, screaming, all of those sorts of things to have those conversations about that the emotion is fine. Fear, pain, sadness, anger, they're, they're part of how we live in this world. What causes us angst is when we're forced to swallow them, you know, and I, and I talk with kids a lot about that because it's something that they can go, you know, whether sometimes, you know, when we say bite your tongue, that's sort of a bit harsh and kids, you go, "Ah," they actually bite their tongue. (laughs) So you sort of can say to them, listen, I, you know, you can see them in a social situation, you know, and you'll see them swallow something. Um, sometimes that's good because you've taught them <laughs> that it's not okay to just say say stuff with no filter. But when it's an emotion and they're really feeling it and you know that they're having a tough time, yeah? And, and the other kids that are their age might not be necessarily on the same level. You know, pulling them aside and saying, I noticed that you sort of took a bit of a deep breath and stepped away from that group. You Okay. You know, I'm modelling your own behaviour. I'm feeling a bit sad today. Not sure why. Yeah, because on any given day, you know, whether it's a smell and, and to talk about that, smells, foods, songs, lyrics, whatever it may be, that suddenly, you know, I'm 10 again and I'm in the car with my mum and, you know, we're listening to some daggy song. Um, when you, um, just a question about yeah. loss and allowing your kids to feel that um, feeling. I think parents are probably very good at trying to um, respond to a loss they understand. So let's say it's a, a divorce and mm. you, your kids are acting up. You might get that and try to be understanding or, um, you know, the big things like they've the, the, for example, what happened to you, the house burnt down. Of yep. course, you're going to be more sensitive around your kids. However, when they lose um, the 10th piece of Lego or yeah. something that you, as a parent, are like, rationally, I do not understand why this is such a loss for you. Yeah. Just buck up and move on. <laughs> What's your response to that? Because we are told that we're not raising resilient children. Yep. But then sometimes I feel when I see, you know, my son's like a bower bird. He'll pick up some bit of rubbish from the street and bring it in. If he loses that piece of rub- rubbish, he's devastated. Whereas I'm like, excellent, less rubbish in the house. Um, but then I look at his attachment to that and I think, well, actually, I don't understand his attachment to that. And he's actually really feels deeply about losing that bottle top. Um do, is there a conflict there between empathising too much with what they see as loss um, or maybe not enough because we don't appreciate what it means to them? Yeah, that, look, that's a really tricky it, – it's a tri- tricky topic because everything we're talking about, there is no formula, yeah? I can't come in here and say X plus Y equals a great resilient child that um, comes out the other side. 
what I do know is that there's, there's a couple of things there. One is our relationships are going to rupture. <laughs> In, <laughs> uh, just need to put that out there because um, good enough parenting is, is where I lie on the spectrum, yeah? So really important to remember that things will rupture in families and, and that will be because on that particular day, you're interested in getting out the door because they're going to be late. Uh, and so finding that piece of rubbish is not a family priority. When those things happen, you know, I talk about the repair, yeah? And again, often doesn't happen in that moment. Let's just all be clear about that. <laughs> Thank I'd God. Walk away, walk away, focus on the goal, which is, you know, we really need to get to drop off or we need to, you know, um, and, they, and they're little. And so they don't have that ordered sense of time. And equally so, they're learning about what is valuable in life. Yeah. So the piece of rubbish is an example. I go back to that evidence framework. Yeah. So... If you've got the time, which is, and I know that there's, there's an irony there, um, but, you know, it is to sort of explore that. But creating concepts where if, if time isn't available to say, you know, in our house, we have a, a, a it's a my catch cry. I changed it from in a minute to, can I park that? Yeah. Can I park that means that I'm popping it you know, just to the side, and I am going to come back to it. It does require some mental um, remembering energy. to go back to it. <laughs> Mind you, they that will. Bottle top. They will remind you. Oh, they do. All <laughs> and everybody the time. out there will know that. You know, so don't be thinking you need a special PA. But um, so, but again, it's about having. You're acknowledging that you've heard them. You know, but then go back and talk about that. Why? Why? Why is that valuable to you? And, and put your point of view across. This, this is our role, is to kind of check and challenge. Why, why do you think that's really important? Now, you know, there can be all range of reasons. You know, they love the colour, you know, something else. Okay, well, distraction is great. Let's go and find something else that's in your bedroom that is that same colour. We'll throw it in your bag, Ooh, off we go. That's you know. a great parenting tip. <laughs> so, I'm using that tomorrow morning. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but you're right in that it's a really fine balance. But you, you know, I talk about, and people probably go, oh, she's so esoterical. But, you know, we do need to go back to parenting by our intuition. So much of what we're doing when we're parenting is filtered through social media, what other people are doing, what other people will think of me. And I'm not backing away from the fact that, you know, I've now got these teenagers and I'm still doing it because I'm yelling at them <laughs> on certain days as they're walking to the bus stop going, where is your jumper <laughs> in the middle of winter? Because I know that some teacher who hasn't had kids yet is going to be judging me, right? So it's not about perfection. And I really want people to understand that because it, all the learning I've done in that role, all parenting, it's clunky. Yeah. But there are lots of resources now, not, you know, um, for those that are of the right age, you don't need to go to Encyclopedia Britannica anymore. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, we've got, we've got information in, um, in our palms and, you know, it's like anything. We just need to use that and harness it, um, for good and to inform us. And so it's a little bit like, um, I talk to people about just start, 
just start. Start where you're at, start where the child's at, but explore why do they find value in that and check and challenge them. I'm totally doing that from now on. <laughs> um, why was I not challenging that bottle top obsession? Yeah. We'll be back with Mel right after this. When you become a parent, you enter an exclusive club, one that only other parents can truly understand. I spent a lot of time running and yelling names. Come back, get back here. But I bought him one of those backpacks that had a lead, like, you know, a monkey one. Because it doesn't look as bad. Yeah, like a disguise. (laughs) The Parent Panel is a weekly podcast that invites adults to ponder the big questions of looking after small children with more than a bit of humour mixed in. Join us for The Parent Panel, where you get your podcasts. One of the other things I think that adults would, would think about, I know I do, in moments where you're explaining a loss, um, is your own feelings. Yeah. Um, and a lot of those losses can, as you say, come out of the blue. And even if you have had someone who you've known to be ill for a long time, maybe you've been grappling with that the whole period of the illness as well. So... What do we do or how should we attempt to manage our own emotions when we're with our kids? Because we do have a tendency to try and stop crying. I know I do, even though I am a crier naturally. Um, I try not to cry in front of my kids too much because I don't want to scare them. So how would you approach that? How much is too much emotion and how do you manage that as a parent so you don't so that you're still a guide for your kid and you're not letting them feel like they're out there on their own. Yeah. This absolutely rings true in in loss in general. So the 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 yardstick for me is that um you need to make sure you're not in that relationship with them like you would be with another adult. So there's always got to be this um, level of awareness that lets you remember that they are the child. However, it's really important that they see us experience emotion. So what we know about children in relation to uh, any kind of loss that is potentially something we can prepare for. So when we talk about, uh, you know, we as adults, may know that our parent is going to die. Um, And, you know, we'll say, oh, yep, I'm I'm preparing myself for that. Well, that, that, it never happens, right? Because it's, you're going to experience it for the first time. But what you can have is information, yeah? And that not, not dulls um, things, but it just allows you to be more present. So one of the things that, um, you know, I think is really handy for parents to consider is when they're showing emotion, I think don't hide emotion. It's uh, absolutely, I would have, you know, I go off and I still do, you know, and have a massive wail in the shower and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And, and so, you know, when I get hysterical, I get hysterical, but, um, you know, but, but the children have also seen that firsthand, you know, where uh, they've been right in the lounge room when particular news has come through and, Again, if you consider that that is like a life rupture, it's what you do to repair that along the way. So to go back to it all the time. I'm a big one about small chunks of information over long periods of time. So you're going back and you're having that conversation. When I 
you know, had a meltdown. Uh, I was feeling this. Yeah, I was feeling alone and sad. And then, you know, I, I, I gave a TEDx talk. And one of the things that came out of that that really resonated with a whole lot of women, I got some emails from them to say, oh, my God, when you said that you were there and you were just crying and you've got these four children under um, five and then all of a sudden, you know, this 14-month-old just pulls on your pants and says, can I have a Vegemite sandwich? Yeah. (laughs) And suddenly you're snapped back. Yeah. So they can be a really big protective factor for us. But it's also if they say, what's wrong? You say, I feel really sad right now. Yeah. And then you say, could you give me a hug? If, if that's what you need, or if you need space, because so many of us find that physical connection sometimes difficult, like that needs to be out there for parents as well. You know, we're not just hug magnets, all of us. Some <laughs> need space. So it might be to say, could you go and just play with your Lego for a little while? I'm just going to finish this cry. Yeah. And then we'll go and do something together. And again, what you're modeling there is the fact that the emotion has come. Yeah. The tsunami's hit. You know, I talk about those waves of emotion and it's hit and you acknowledge it and you put a label, a name to that feeling. And then you get yourself back up and you keep going. And that's demonstrating true resilience. Yeah. And it's saying to, it's modeling to your children and saying to them, this can hit you at any point in time. Yeah. So having a conversation with the five-year-old then, you know, if that happened to me at work, I would probably just see if I had a friend around and I'd go and get a coffee or go for a walk and get some fresh air, or I'd go and tell my boss. Yeah. What we're saying is then we can have that conversation. doesn't have to be in that moment. Remember, it could be like weeks later. Remember when I had that meltdown? Chances are they'll say no. Yeah, because they'll just, they'll have normalized it. Like, you know, <laughs> you're saying you're a crier, you know. My kids are probably like, oh, mum's not crying. There's something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so they know your rhythm. They know who you are. Yeah, we don't feel like it sometimes because they're very egocentric, but they do. They're attached, they're tuned in. And, um, you know, so my my honest advice is out out of this whole conversation, and, and it's not just about grief and loss. Like I'll go back to that sexual health stuff too about their bodies and friendships and relationships and love and, you know, um, all of those sorts of things small chunks of information over long periods of time. And, you know, when they ask curious questions and you can't, you know, believe me, you know, some of the funniest questions will happen when you have not, you you seriously don't have 30 seconds to spare. Can I park that? Let's go back. And if you don't know, you can say, I don't know. Maybe we could look up some information about that together. Yeah. Role modeling. Where do I find good information? It's got to have quality. Like I'm not going to go to Wikipedia, you know, even at five, you know, they're, they're got this language. Yeah. And, um, that's the world they're going to live in. So we need to be teaching them those skills as we go along. Mel, I feel like we could just keep going all day. (laughs) 
<laughs> Unfortunately, we don't have the time. Thank you so much for coming in and chatting uh, with us. Thanks for having me. It was a real joy. That's Mel Greenhouse. She's a speaker and communicator around grief and loss. And you'll find links to her website in the notes of this episode. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced by Debbie Ning and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. We'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email us at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.